Do you always drink from a straw? I do. I got my teeth whitened two years ago, and they're like, drink from a straw from now on. How do I get my teeth whitened? I was wanting to find out about that. Your dentist will just do it. It's two two-hour sessions, and they kind of put you in this torture device. Do they have a little sucky thing to eat up your... your... They do. They put a little uh, uh, what are the, a suction in your mouth. Do you get to watch movies or podcasts? What would you do? I listen mostly to podcasts. There was a TV there, but I found it easier to listen than to watch. Is there anything you two want to avoid? Is there anything you don't want to talk about? I mean, it's just a clown podcast, but is there anything I don't know about that you want to tell me now, which I will not put in the podcast, by the way? Like murder? Is there a murder? <laughs> that would absolutely fit this category of like, don't talk about the murder. Yeah, don't talk about the murder. You don't want to talk about that. Fair. I mean, I think it would drive some listens just between <laughs> some the murder. Listens, Chad? <laughs> How many listens does your podcast have? What? How do you? Say, how would you say it? How many downloads? It's not views. Yeah, I got uh, views. Liz. Welcome to Stand Up and Clown, the podcast. I'm your host, Chad Damiani. Thanks for joining us. We've got a really exciting pod. These are two clowns that I've been wanting to get on the pod for a while. I've watched their journey from curious students to leaders of a community. I'm going to get with them in just a second. But a few bits of housekeeping. The two-year anniversary of Stand Up and Clown, it's coming up March 4th. This pod is either dropping the week before or the day of. But we've got some really great guests. One of the big surprises, as of the recording of this podcast, Jennifer Landon from Yellowstone is coming on. We don't get a lot of actresses, but that should be fun. I have Freak Nature Puppets, if you haven't seen them. Other surprises, please check that out. I've got classes on my link tree. You can go to the episode notes for all that stuff. And also learn about our two guests, who I'm going to introduce now. They are Denver's Finest Clowns. Teachers, performers, meditators. I don't know if that's the right term. <laughs> Let's hear it for Alyssa Alberg and Juliana Beckert. <laughs> it's great. And I'll add, I might I might sweeten that. I might sweeten that to like a rushing applause. <laughs> Let's have names. So just so we can recognize voices, each of you introduce yourselves. So uh, my name is Juliana, a.k.a. Jules. That's Jules. This is not Jules. This is Alyssa. Uh, Alyssa Alberg, also known as Liss. We're going to start very simply. We're going to go back and forth between you. There's a question I often ask. Before we learn about your backstory, I just want to know how you identify currently as an artist. So we are going to start with Jules. Jules, how do you identify either as an artist or comically? I mean, I guess clown would be the most prominent title I go by, but I'm I'm teetering on this idea of bringing performance art back into my life and doing a hybrid of the two. And then the question becomes two. It's like, what is the line? Because clown to me is a version of performance art because we acknowledge the space. It's a fuzzy line. And like, I think more so it's like clown is sort of like the way 
it's a thing that you can apply to any performance, right? So it's like a way of being. Yeah. No, I deal with this all the time because I mostly identify as a clown. I've been using the term teaching artist a little bit. You get to a point where clown is all things and then clown becomes almost too ubiquitous and then it means nothing again. We were literally just talking about this last night, Yeah, how it's everything and nothing at the same time. Mm -hmm. And nothing in terms of financial reward. Right. (laughs) What about you, Liz? How do you identify? I mean, yeah, I would say clown. I think clown clown fits. But there's also part of me that looks at what I do sort of as comedic theater. I think one way that Jules and I sort of differ is she does have sort of a background in visual arts and things like that. So a lot of her stuff tends to lean more towards performance art, whereas my background is more traditional theater. So I like doing a lot with like characters and sort of interjecting clown into more theater style approach. That's a great launching off point. Let's talk about Jules and Liz before they are working together. Let's talk about you individually first. So BJL. There's BJL and there's AJL. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> New measurement of time. New uh, measurement of time. So Vani Hong wants to... I mean, it kind of is true for our, our own personal existence. Yeah. Let's see. So there was being a kid and being somewhat ignored by my family. Every time I was at my friends' houses, that's when I would open up and become a little terror and be hogging all the attention. So that's my roots. <laughs> um, and then in college, I was part of a founding member of this uh, freelance performance art cheerleading squad of feminist cheerleaders. And slow down, <laughs> slow down. <laughs> what was it called? It was called Raw Booty, R-A-H hyphen eight B-O-O-T-Y exclamation point for proper spelling. And what does that look like in terms of, I'm sure it kept evolving because you created, you're a founding member, but what did a performance look like for Raw Booty? So it started out, there was just like this kind of like industrial goth song that a friend had that um, went like, and had this really intense beat. And she was like, I just have this vision of cheerleaders dancing to this song. Um, So we made up a dance to the song and then we're like, this is weird. We like it. This is all like sculptured chicks and stuff. And so we have hairy armpits and we're used to being like the tomboy and only hanging out with dudes. But here we are with a bunch of women wearing little tiny skirts and doing dances. And it was interesting and fun. And then we just like we had a, a bunch of cheers that we wrote about getting married, about having a UTI, our body hair. And then from there, me and a couple other members got into making music. And so we made like a little album that was a series of love songs starting from being single to being in love to breaking up. Because they're cheers, you kind of have the freedom to perform them at any time, anywhere. Or did you do more traditional shows? We wound up opening up for bands sometimes because we're in art school and like in this like hip little part of town in Kansas City, Missouri. And one gal worked at a record store and the owner of that loved us. So we got to open for the cramps one time, but they didn't understand what the heck we were doing there. And their Lux interior was like, steal that pom-poms. And then like put the mic in his mouth and people tried to steal our pom-poms and we had to defend ourselves. But we also performed at galleries and just on the street. Sometimes it'd be real obnoxious. We'd just like run around town, like yelling and stuff. It's a good origin story for a hero or a villain. So that was my intro into performing in general. Between then and discovering improv, I was in a handful of little music bands and stuff. Um, Music bands, you know, they play music. And then 
2017, I was very curious about improv, always was afraid of it, not sure if I'd be capable of it, and just wanted to try and see if I could get words to come out of my mouth on the fly like that. And so I took some drop-ins, and then two years later, I'm on five improv teams. (laughs) Is that kind of your MO, that like you are curious about something and then you become consumed by it? Yeah, I think that's my MO. I think that's what I do all the time. I'm curious about something, but I try lots of things. And a lot of things die off before I can like fully delve in. But but sometimes they catch me and then I'm I'm all in. I went through 101 through 501 at Voodoo Comedy Playhouse. And back then, the curriculum was dependent on who was teaching that particular one and like what they felt like teaching, I think. Now it's like got a more structured curriculum to it. But I had a good time. And that was how me and Alyssa met. We got put on a team together at this all-woman the women thing has been a big theme for me. We were on this all-women squad called Broad Squad, put together by uh, an improv teacher named Allison Learned. Um, good name for a teacher. All right, Liz, your turn. Now we've gotten to Broad Squad, so now we're going to rewind back to your humble beginnings. My humble beginnings? Yes, well, I guess we're going to start in childhood. Yeah, that's kind of where it all... I mean... I didn't know it then, but I was a clown. One of our the favorite stories is that I used to live, as a child, I lived as a pioneer. I, <laughs> I sort of just like went through this phase where I just fully embraced becoming a pioneer. I made my own dresses. I would come home every day after school and just rake rocks and put them in buckets and toil. And <laughs> Oh, boy. I always loved getting lost in in the imagination. And then I, yeah, I went to acting school in New York. Definitely a theater kid. I went to the Atlantic Acting School um, and sort of bebopped around to a bunch of the studio schools, HB Studios, all that stuff that you do. Kind of gave acting a solid shot when I was out there, but really found my niche in the improv community and and with with a little all-female sketch group. And we mostly ended up just booking... Again, I was doing clown but didn't know it, ending up booking gigs where we just were hosting events, sort of, but in characters. I remember one time I was just a giant lobster at an art gallery for a few hours and just things like that. And then I decided it was time to grow up and I moved out to Colorado to go back to school. And yeah, so I went to school for psychology and didn't do anything for a little while and then slowly inched my way back into the Denver improv scene and similarly ended up on Brad Squad with Jules. And then, yeah, next thing you know, it's just all all we do. Well, you should say you two have become synonymous. There's almost like a Jules and Liss brand in Denver. There's drop-in classes. You have a show. This is a comedy duo that works together fairly consistently. Yeah. And people get our names mixed up too because yeah. of it. They're like, that's what you get for being Jules and Liz. Yeah, they, they do kind of also fall into, like, it's not like Mary and Maverick in Jetso, and it was Chad and Juzo, Yoshida. So mm. no one ever called me Juzo. <laughs> Did you both have an immediate connection even during the improv days, or was it a slower burn? When we were in Broad Squad together, there was definitely this like hint of like, we didn't feel we necessarily belonged in that group. Like there was, it was kind of this weird thing. But there was something about her that I'd be like, oh, she's funny. Yeah. I, she's weird. I had a big like improv crush on Alyssa. I just loved her characters. And she had this, her like <laughs> 80% of the time she would start a scene 
in the front right corner, stirring like a big cauldron. Pioneer object work. Yes. <laughs> it's like my go-to. For real, it's like, uh, if I have to think quickly, it's like I'm instantly, it's like 1895. And I'm like, oh, my husband's not coming back from war, is he? And it works every time. It's so funny because I had a similar situation with Juzo, who was my first true comedy partner, where he really didn't fit in. We were taking classes at IOS, and he really didn't fit in very well. He's a Japanese national. He was the oldest person in class. But every time he got on stage, even when he completely submarined or sabotaged a scene, that was the funniest moment in class for me. Because it was just fun watching people be like, I don't know what to do with this person. And I had that instinct where like, I think I can ride that stallion. Were you more conventional, Jules, in this group? Or were you also kind of one of the weird fringe people? I think you'd be a better answer that. <laughs> I mean, I think it was like you were still like new to it. So you were like a little bit shy. But these little moments where you come out where I was like, oh, Oh, and so then it wasn't until we did like a road trip together. We taught an improv workshop at a at a camp for UX UI designers uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, applied improv workshop. So like we bust ourselves out there in the middle of nowhere, and all these people flew in from San Diego. And it was just like us in this little camp hut, and that's where I like fell in love with her. And I was like, this girl is so funny very short detour into applied improv because I spent some time also doing some applied improv workshops. It's such a funny thing. One, usually <laughs> usually they won't agree to any amount of time that would be valuable, like on their right. end. They're like, we want you to teach teamwork. We figured 45 minutes during lunch. It's like, do you realize how long? <laughs> what I would always do is I try to come up with the games that I could get everyone up and keep yeah. it really simple. It might just be keep up the tape ball. For the last three minutes, I'd be like, so what we learned today is if we can find Kawhi. And I was like, we didn't learn shit today. <laughs> but you felt like this obligation to kind of sum it up and be like, this is the skills that now we yeah. have imparted on you. When you got to go in for one day, I always felt like such a fraud. Yeah. I mean, but the, the fun thing about it, though, is especially when it, I was doing these at company retreats and things like that, where there's a whole, they have like a whole weekend of stuff that has to happen. Like, it was always fun because, like, you got to be the fun person. Like, everybody just, like, loved it. And you're like, all right, peace out, suckers. Enjoy your one-on-ones. Right, because they're going to have something on Zoom protocol. Like, you are (laughs) the one oasis of stupidity in an otherwise grueling two days. And then the other thing that I always found rewarding about it was, like, people are always so afraid of the, I mean, not everyone, but, like, so many people are so afraid to do it. And then, like, it was always very rewarding when, afterwards like the people that were so scared ended up just like really so grateful for the experience and then that always feels good the camp we did was like the only one i ever did so Alyssa had a side hustle um or was it your main thing for a bit teaching applied improv i was trying to make it my main thing yeah yeah and then i got invited to teach this course i'm like one year into my improv journey i was gonna like, say i was like what is what is jules doing there she said to you to start i don't know but, but I was like, oh, um, Alyssa, will you come help me teach this thing? And she killed it. And we got to split it up together. And it's a beautiful thing. But yeah, like everybody was like, whoa, like that was a life changing experience after I think we had we were lucky enough to have like an hour or two with them. I don't know. Oh, they love yeah. it. They love it. I'll tell you the thing that happened. I probably did it 50 times in this little stretch. And 
I was screenwriting and I was trying to figure out an escape hatch. The thing that would happen that was the big saving grace for me, besides what you're talking about, where in general you did feel like you gave people working much harder than we work mostly, a little moment to be children and have fun. There was always someone in the group, usually a dude, who thought he was going to be the funniest guy. Yes. Yeah. And then there was always a quiet yeah. person, like maybe even a weirdo, and they would always help. <laughs> and it was so fun to know that from that point on, we had changed the narrative of the office. It's so funny you say that because it, it happened every single time. It was like, you know, Marco from sales like comes in all like, oh, I'm going to kill the improv here. And it was like, oh, watch out for Marco. And then like there's this shy little like intern and they get up there and all of a sudden it's just like, oh. And doing almost nothing like the shy intern. Almost nothing. And yeah. It's a very clown moment. That exactly. Have, That's you know. yes. Yeah. yeah. And so far in our little clown workshops and drop-ins and stuff too, it's it's usually the quiet little shy weirdo person that's one of the funniest people. And I'm glad that the culture has shifted in terms of clown because I think if you went back 10 years even, or maybe less, it was all for the bulls. You get up there and it's like, hurry up, make us laugh, get out here. If you don't make us laugh, we're going to kick you off stage. And that is not where the shy weirdo thrives. Not early on. It's just great to know that we've moved in a direction where it's like, no, we're that's who we're looking for. We have more bulls than we'll ever need. Well, but then also think I, I, a lot of it has to do with just like authenticity, right? I feel like when people come out so big, so bold and whatever else, it's like there's just like so many filters up there already that it's like you got to break that down to get them to like show their real insides. Yeah. And yeah. so with this shy, this shy little honest vulnerable person to like they just need that little push and it's like it's so funny because it's so real well i think there's this thing that happens let's take let's take marco from sales i love one-on-one -on -one, a group of five people where it's not presentational where he's just shooting the shit marco's doing great but then you put him in front of a crowd and then he's fully exposed instantly so i did this show the other night it was a dating show it was on um, valentine's day the guy who put it together, this guy, Max, really nice guy. It was the first time he was trying something like that. And he put together these three guys, one woman. And in his mind, you know, he was going to go up there and he was going to ask them a bunch of questions. And, you know, these were gregarious guys. You could tell probably in their real lives, these were people who were charming. Now faced with a big audience that was reacting and really watching them and them not having the power to dictate the conversation, they were drowning up there. Because the audience kind of saw that they were full of shit. And I don't mean that like they're bad people, but they kind of saw what you guys are talking about, all the walls that were being put up to control the narrative. So, you know, when I went up, I just really kind of roasted them. And then I gave them really difficult tasks because yeah. I knew if they had difficult tasks, they wouldn't be able to rely on tricks. And it got a little better, but it is so interesting that sometimes the class clown, like what we, what we heard earlier with Liss, like, that's just a weird kid, right? That's just a little pioneer kid in a handmade dress. That's like true clown. Sometimes the person in class who has all the smart-ass remarks for the teacher, that's not a clown. Last clown is kind of just uh, a bully, maybe. Mm -hmm. I think a class clown is absolutely someone who's like, everyone look at me right now, and I'm controlling this room. Mm -hmm. But the real clown in the class is the Liss who's, you know, in a handmade dress 
you know, drawing log cabins in her notebook. That's the clown. The class clown probably is more suited for stand-up. Yeah, for sure. So you two, you do this applied improv thing. You start working together after that. Was it immediate or did it still take some time? I know for me how it went, but I, I want to hear what you how it went for you. Yeah, um, I was like in comedy love. I felt like we bonded really, really hard. I kind of have a fuzzy memory of like what happened between then and like say the the panty, and that's when I remember really starting to work. Pandemic, yeah, it's pandemic, yeah. not not panties. I thought that was yeah. another female team, the panties. <laughs> right? Yeah, the panties. <laughs> Alyssa just started calling me every day, and. <laughs> I remember feeling like surprised by it, but like really welcoming it. And then we, she started sending me videos of like just a clip of her doing a character and was like, let's do improv. And so she'd send me like one line as a character and then I'd um, send her my response in and a video. And It's important to know that these were all Snapchat filters. That's yeah. why it was fun. <laughs> They'd like find the dumbest Snapchat filter you could. You'd start a scene, send it off. Mm -hmm. That's and great. so we just played like sending each other videos back and forth and like building scenes and started editing them into yeah. videos. And that's how Twin Detectives was born. Was we had this children's uh, series. It's on our Instagram. You guys can definitely watch. Yeah, it. the first videos we did on our Instagram reels was just <laughs> Twin Detectives. Yeah, so it's like a '90s um, era like child twins that solve mysteries. <laughs> oh boy. With a Snapchat filter. Yeah. That's great, though. So that's how you continue to generate work when we were all oh, yeah. isolated. And then I think what I what we really found in each other was like during the pandemic with all that going on, it's like it's really hard to find people, especially adults that have jobs that will commit as hard as you to this stupid thing that we're doing. You know what I mean? It's like we have to you have to take it really serious. Like, it can't be wishy-washy. Like, you have to rehearse. And so it's like, Jules and I have that in each other. It's like the commitment to, like, get it done. Oh, I can't even count all the dream teams I've been on, that commitment element. And also say that it's this marriage of commitment and priority. Yeah. Yeah. Which is understandable. People have a lot of things going on, but you can be working with the most talented person in the world. And if you're just their fourth priority, it is diminishing returns. You end up exhausting your chemistry together because you end up just recycling things that work because you're not digging in. What you guys have is very special. We feel very lucky. I feel very lucky. Because, yeah, like, um, from that day, back in the day in college when I had that, like, uh, cheerleading squad, that was, like, really the highlight of my performance thing because it was, like, a big group of people who were committed to the thing. And I've been like looking for that ever since, like this collaborative enthusiasm. And, and then I found it with Alyssa. I think that's partly why the improv industrial complex has been successful. And I mean this as a compliment, is that they can create work-like stakes, mm -hmm. house teams. Well, you better put in the work because we might replace you. It feels more like a traditional job in a lot of ways. And we can lock into that. We can lock into like, oh, I better put this effort in. And it's so hard when we're acting independently. When you work for yourself, it's hard when you don't respect the boss. Mm -hmm. mm. And you know we don't respect what we really want and it's what everyone else asks of us. So we just certainly don't want to piss off the person we work for. We don't want to piss off our family. We don't want to piss off our partner. But then there's these things that matter to us. But if we have to sacrifice something, we default to sacrificing the thing for ourselves. You see that? Really I'm just like, <laughs> I was like, 
I'll say that again. I'm keeping all, this will all stay in. This will all stay in. I kind of zoned out. I'm sorry. In life, we've been taught always to kind of serve authority, right? We have our mm-hmm. bosses. Then we have familial obligation. Sometimes we have a partner. And then we have these artistic things that we want that are very important to us. But when we start to put together our priority list of what things have to be satisfied, what things cannot be sacrificed, we end up last on the list. It was that point I said that, you know, when you work for yourself, it's very difficult when you don't respect the boss. Well, you know what? This is something I want, but they'll be fine if if I'm late. They'll be fine if I take a month off. You know, Mm -hmm. you just sort of treat yourself as this toothless authority in your life. When you can find two people, now you two are responsible to each other. Right. So you have that little bit extra where it's like, this is stuff I want, and there's going to be some weeks that are harder than others, and certainly we'll be understanding. We both know that life happens, but at the end of the day, it matters to me that I don't let my friend down and my artistic partner down. So maybe we push a little bit harder just to get where we're going. We have like a really good match on our level of passion for like, we do this because we love it. We do this because we want to keep getting better at it. And then like, as far as like the responsibilities, like there is a lot. I see us going through like these waves of like having a lot of enthusiasm and energy, um, maybe even mania for like getting all the tasks done. And like, it seems most of the time, if one of us is having a little restful period, the other one is like, all right, I've got this. And then like, we just switch off or sometimes we're both riding high and it's it's working out. Yeah, it's like we're all, between the two of us, we are always keeping the ball in the air. Was I your first clown class or was there another clown class before me? Uh, the thing is, so we were really into improv together. We met, we started doing all this stuff and we just like felt the the connection. We both were like, let's like do something more. And so during the pandemic, we just were taking classes everywhere we could because suddenly everything was online, right? So it was like we were taking classes at Second City. We were taking classes all over and we ended up taking a workshop with Jet and loved Jet Eveleth. Yeah, she, like, for me in particular, I was having, like, all this trouble with improv, like, about always getting the feedback, get out of your head. And I was like, but where do I go, right? Like, and it just got me more in my head and there's all those rules and stuff. And then Jet comes in and, like, puts us in our bodies. And I was like, that resonates with me. Alyssa had a separate class with Jet or maybe the same one. It was online, so we kind of don't remember. What was your takeaway from that? The same. It just really resonated. And so... Because it was a pandemic, we reached out to her and started working with her one-on-one virtually. And like, uh, we still are. So, and, but but when we were working with her, it was improv. And then she started to talk about this idea of clown. And we're like, no, 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 we don't do clown. Excuse me. No. And so let's just keep with the improv. And she kept slipping in stuff. And then we'd be like, what's this? We love this. And she's like, well, that's, that's clown. Yeah. She tricked us. She tricked us. And then until finally we just said to her, like, can we learn clown? <laughs> that's how that all got started. And that's how we met you. And then, and now we can't, can't stop, won't stop. Let me tell you a funny Jet Eveleth story. This is uh, Jet Eveleth related, but it made me laugh. I just saw her the other day. I'm doing a show with her next week. And the day before I had one of my live directs at the clubhouse and one of the people doing it, I'd worked with them very little in the free incubator classes that I provide before this show, Catsby, but we really hadn't worked together much. It was a guy named Bruno, and he wasn't used to my style. Mm-hmm. I'll say it nicely. So I was really roasting him, like really <laughs> roasting him. And he was clearly confused. The audience was laughing because he was confused. And finally, I'm like, Bruno, I was like, what the hell are you doing up there? And he stops and he goes forward. Now, mind you, he's been bombing for five straight minutes. He goes, I'm doing all the things that were taught to me in clown church by Jet Evelyn. And I was like, 
And I was like, I hope so. I got that on Instagram. I said, because this will ruin her career. I was like, this is the one moment that everyone will be like, I saw what Clown Church is. It's really pretty <laughs> upsetting to watch. It was just so great because he was so proud to say this. And it was just such a beautiful moment. And the whole room just started roaring laughing. You two have been continue to work with Jet. And that's been years now you've been doing. Yeah, like three years, I think now. And yeah. when did you start entertaining the idea of actually performing clown? You have a show, Jules and Liss. You do silent work. You have live directors come in. You yeah. do a lot of variations of clown in this duo. We do, yeah. We did silent clown with you. We also do idiot theater. So like idiot theater is more of like our experimental group here in Denver. It's all clown and we try all sorts of stuff there. That's like a fun way to like explore. And then Jules and I, we've done a bunch of different stuff, but I'd say like ours recently, we've been leaning more towards devised theater. So like more of scenario based stuff. But I would say our show started off as like, we were calling it clown prov. So we're doing improv, but just trying to really like explore these ideas of clown, talking less, slowing it down really trying to like connect with the audience more and then started to just say, let's just do more of this. How much room do you leave in an idea you'd put into a show to discover in front of the audience? Do you have tent poles that you're trying to hit to the end or is it more just an introductory idea? I mean, it just depends on the show. Like right now, what we're, we're running a show we call Elf Quest. I think typically it has a full structure. So like we've got like all these things we're going to hit, but like our dialogue in the middle isn't scripted. We know the feelings that we're going to get through. We know like what twists and turns are going to happen. But there is room for discovery, especially when we use a live director, because they can take things really off the rails and then we just like chase whatever's happening. You know, without that live director... Maybe one of you thinks this is the thing right now. We've got this thing. And how do you say that in a show? Mm. Like when you're trying to stay in it? I mean, the answer is if cl we're clowns, we just look at each other and go, let's do this. Like we can totally, we 100% can do that. I, I'm one of the worst offenders of feeling like I can't do that. <laughs> Whatever reason, sometimes I feel trapped. I'm like, oh, I'm already playing this character and I had this idea. So I'm just going to make this work. Even though I see something else present itself. Natalie Palomides who's my good buddy, that's her superpower is she'll just, she spends so much time preparing. Mm -hmm. And if you watch her devise, she'll be devising. And sometimes she'll just stop and she'll just look at the audience and be like, oh, I what I thought was going to happen. And she's in like crazy makeup and like in the middle of the scene, she'll be like, I thought this was going to happen. It's not happening. I think I'm going to try something else. And then immediately completely lock back in. And the audience laughs at that little exchange. But then she just has the ability to make them buy in again. That's something I'm working on. I'll give you a perfect example. I've talked a little bit about this. I was doing show at a wine bar. I decided to do Dick in a Bear Trap where I'm essentially, all I'm wearing is this fabricated thing that looks like my genitals have been caught in a bear trap. A really Liz Estrada exaggerated version. And I'm covered in blood and this act usually kills. I come out as if it just happened. And the whole bit is I'm never gonna talk about it. I'm just trying to do stand up. Sort of, I have this entrance where I enter backwards so you can see my bare butt and I'm covered in blood. And then I turn around and reveal this bear trap. Mm. And in that moment, I see the audience and I turn around and no one is looking at me. They hate it. They're at a wine bar. They're not here for this. Like it was bad judgment on my part. And I'm like, my dick's stuck in a bear trap. What? what? That's what's happening. But you know what I could have done? 
I could have been like, oh, this was a bad idea. I'm so sorry, everybody. Hey, my name's Chad Demiani. And I absolutely had the freedom, but instead I was like, no, this is it. This is what they saw. This is the promise. And by the way, if I had just done that, I probably could have been like, let me try it again. You don't have to try it. Let me do the entrance again. I don't think there's like, yeah, let's. Why not? Right? Like, we could do what. Right. It's like, let me do this again. I think I came in too hot. But instead, I did the entire act and just clawed for any attention from this audience. And it was a real disaster. And I have not been asked back to that show, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that reminds me too of when you came out to Denver and we got to see you bomb. (laughs) I do feel like that's another example. (laughs) I mean, for me, the reason I think I just kept going too is because Mike Tappan and you two were there. And so it was just fun for me to keep looking at you all and being like, this is. <laughs> and you you all were like such good energy because you were loving it. Cause I was just like, I didn't have a moment of success. No. But I was like loving that you all were loving it. So I was just like, I guess I'm just going to keep digging this hole. Oh, man. I still laugh about the last moments of that set where I pulled out the picture of the middle finger and that family crossed in right at that exact moment. And so they just thought I was showing them this middle finger. They had no idea. One of the great disasters. That woman protecting her husband that was getting picked on for being a cis white male. And um, she was so like with her arm around him and patted him to comfort him. He looked destroyed, too. It was like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I feel like everything I'm doing is so innocuous. That's an interesting one, because I think I wouldn't change a thing about that set only because it was such a good bonding experience for the four of us. Yeah. I think we were all just thinking, this is crazy how bad this is going. So... (laughs) I mean, everything about it was, uh, yeah. Remember the guy staying on stage and getting, come on, make some noise. Ruining, <laughs> ruining my entrance. Back to the bear trap talk. I have a very synonymous um, experience with my first solo piece that I tried. So I was like this little alien come down to planet Earth to find out what love is. And um, I come out to like some ambient, like megahertz music for love and miracles, you know, I'm like, oh, and then like, I'm just like this weird little alien in a nude suit and a cape and a ball cap. And I'm like, blah, blah. and then I have a little puppet that comes out of my heart and the heart kind of says what love is. And then the brain and the brain says what love is. And then the pussy comes out and is like in out in out. So I did it twice, once for performers, other performers. And that show was wonderful. The second time was as if like four or five couples Googled comedy show date night, my weird fucking show. (laughs) But I had this moment where I'm talking to them with my vagina puppet and like crickets. And I was like mad. I was like, I'm talking to you with a vagina. Like you can't even laugh at that. You got to do it again. Now you're a different clown. I didn't know what to do, but that's the thing. I wish I would have like pivoted or just like admitted this is dumb, isn't it? But I didn't. I just kept going. We get trapped by our own stupidity. We're trying to bring them into this idea, so we're committing hard to it. We fool ourselves into thinking any of it is real. We could do whatever we want. You should 100% Jules do that again. I'll try. It is funny, and she looks funny. I think that's the hard thing with clown being everything and nothing, right? It's so hard, especially with devised theater. You You're working on this thing. You're building this thing. And it's hard in the moment to remember, wait, it can be anything. Like, it needs to just be the truth of the moment. Like, you can let all of this go right now, like, if that's what this scene needs. Mm. But it's like you're stuck in your head of, like, coming from improv or theater. Like, there's all these 
secret formulas and secret mapping that's happening to make it look totally improvised that you forget, wait, I can actually, I can, I'm not trapped on this stage. I can, I can do anything. When you first start, you're given a set of rules or a set of things that have worked well and you lean into those and you're having more success than you were when you had no idea, but then they become your prison. There are times when you throw something away and the audience goes, mm, they're giving up. And then there are times when they acknowledge like, oh, they're playing with us. They're having fun. We're just all acknowledging the thing that is true in the room. And you just never know. You never know which one you're going to get. It depends on the night. It depends on your energy. The thing about clown that's so important is if we're really listening, if we're really party to the conversation that is truly happening, then we can always adjust. And even if we throw it away and they're like, you quit, we can be like, you're right, I'm a quitter. I'm going to go back. Like, then that becomes a funny game. I feel as long as I've been doing this, there are still certain things that I do that I'm trying to get better at or that I try to find different audibles or different approaches because I've had a certain amount of success. And that success becomes its own prison of like, no, when you do things like this, this is why you're consistent as a performer. And it's like, no, that's just how I got here. What I do next should depend on the moment that presents itself. This is making me think of a little anecdote back to Jet Eveleth. There was this show that Jet was part of and they were doing the same show over and over again. So there's this one night where this guy in the scene had some coffee and he wanted some cream and like him wanting the cream, saying that he wanted the cream, like got a big laugh. And then so he did that a few other times as they ran the show and no laughs. But um, he's like, why did I not get the laugh the second time I like asked for the cream? And she's like, well, the first time you wanted the cream, second time you wanted the laugh. This is actually a 100-year-old story. <laughs> and it's funny. I've heard it told with the tea, not the cream. Yeah. But the version I heard was essentially it was a famous stage play that was not doing very well. And this one night they get a big laugh on the person asking him for the tea and then to similar to the way you're telling it, three nights in a row, they're like, that's it. That's the laugh. It was the truth of the desperation of the moment. But once you recognize that it is a laugh line, then you're just looking at the audience like, gimme. And it's like, <laughs> baby wants. I love, though, that a jet has been inserted into that story oh, yeah, yeah. as the genius. <laughs> ancient, ancient monk, Jet Ebola. When did you all decide to teach? Because I think a lot of people from smaller markets, again, Denver, not exactly small, but small for clown. There really isn't a presence. There's Nick Trotter. He's a perfectly decent guy. He's teaching a very specific style that's more mm -hmm. comedia based. What was the moment where you're like, I think we can do more by sharing this work instructionally? For us, it was we wanted to grow as performers. And part of that meant that, one, we needed more people in the community to do it. And then also, like, I think, it, I mean, obviously, like, I think teaching will make us better performers, for sure. There's something so exciting about people being excited about it and feeling like, yeah, let's, we could do it. Okay, if you guys, yeah, I guess if you guys want it, we'll do it. Here's the thing, as we dismantle the pedagogy pedagogy, whatever you want to call it. Pedagogy. And this is my pedagogy. This is my pedagogy. It's my Pokemon pedagogy. I'm going to leave all that in, sadly. I do believe that once you are having success on stage and you get a basic feel for it, that as a clown, you can have clowns stand in front of you and you can tell them if we like it or not. And that's where we start. We just start with simply being like, this is what I'm seeing. You're hiding a little bit. You're too small. You're too big. You've seen it in your own performance. You also have a class of people there 
who are either liking it or not liking it. And there's no reason for, especially in a place where the scene is new, that you can't provide that service of, we're going to let you get in front of people a bunch of times, so you just get this in your bones a little bit, so you can go out and experiment. There's been like some beautiful moments in workshops and stuff where it's like, yeah, just that thing of putting someone in front of the everyone else, giving them a very simple task of like, there's this one thing I, I've done a couple times that I love to do where it's just like, literally, I just have them enter with an emotion. They see a chair. They have a different emotion. They sit in the chair. They have a different emotion. So it's like they've got a very like prescription thing over and over with everyone else trying this. They get to see that what happens when you look at the audience and what happens when you don't look at the audience and what happens when you have a transformation. And like those two things really light the people up and it feels like a, a dirty trick almost. But but it definitely beats looking down at the floor or not having a change. And they can't really move forward until a few fundamental things are happening, right? They have to see us. Mm -hmm. They have to be present in seeing us. So if there's a shift in energy in the room, that they can acknowledge it. Whatever that means, that can mean more advanced things, or it can simply mean I acknowledge that you like it. I acknowledge that you don't like it. I acknowledge that you're confused. I acknowledge that you're disgusted, but that there's just that presence. You got to teach them that. And you got to teach them to be in their bodies. They have to move in the space in a way where they're joyful and they're fully present from head to toe. They can't do anything else until they get that. They won't be able to move forward. There's no tricks. It's not like improv where you can teach them, well, you know, just repeat the thing three times and then it's funny. The other thing that's interesting, too, about it is it's like, I think for us, like it was such there's something about clown, like when it finally hits and something starts to resonate or make sense. I want other people to have that experience. Like I know what that feels like, if, like how good that feels. And so it's like I want them to have that experience, you know, and so it's really hard to see as a teacher to figure out how to give that to them. I mean, you're very good at it. And obviously Jed is, too. You can't explain it, really. And it's just like, how much can you simplify an activity? Dealing with a lot of improvisers, they're so witty. They're so heady. They're so, how do you get them to, to use their like four-year-old mind to like keep it so simple? thing I'm dealing with a lot right now, I'm working on a project that I'm hoping I'll be able to announce soon. Ooh. And it's very exciting. Oh my goodness, Jed. But part of the project is trying to dismantle existing culture at a certain institution. One of the things that I'm realizing, having done a bunch of sessions for this group, mm -hmm. is that also in L.A. specifically, but I think this does apply to places like Denver and San Diego and San Francisco, is what I call showcase culture. You end up learning how to showcase either a form, an improv, or you're doing characters and you're showcasing your ability to do voices and how you move and your writing. Showcasing is the opposite of clown. Yeah. When you go out there and it's all about just showing off, then you have one response you want from an audience. You want them to be wowed. You want them to laugh. You want them to be amazed. You're showcasing this thing. You're showing how great it is. And what we do is we give them something and go, what do you think? Yeah. Like, are we okay? Are we okay, guys? <laughs> it's a powerful thing to break in people because when you go, no... If we really dislike it, you're in better shape now because yeah. you're human to us. And that for someone who's been taught to create three minutes for just for laughs or mm -hmm. they're dreaming about their SNL audition. The idea that like if you go up there and bomb, you now have an intimacy with us because mm -hmm. we've seen you at your worst. The pushback has been I, I want to say that pushback's the wrong word. 
the resistance because of the training has been really interesting to me. And mm -hmm. I'm finding also that once you break that composure, you also have to be very forgiving because what comes next is work that is terrible because now they have no rules. And so like, we'll do whatever we want and we don't give a shit about you. It's like, no, that's not it. We want you to care. But like, you have to let them be in that space because if mm -hmm. you don't, guess what? I'm the person who's going to tell you the new rules mm -hmm. and we're back to square one. I don't know. I've been thinking about this like thing about talents, like showcasing talents. Because on one hand, showcasing like a real talent lets the audience know I'm serious about this stuff. And I do have some skill. Like, I don't know what to do with this thought, but I'm liking the idea of a mix of real talent and then also just trying really hard to do something that you're terrible at so that you can make the audience go, ah, or like, ha ha ha, you, you dumb idiot. What I'd say is what you're talking about, for me, mm -hmm. is the difference between talent and tactics. For instance, as we all know, I'm, for my age and weight, the best dancer in clown. For my age <laughs> and current weight of 230 pounds. Yeah, the category. best answer in clown. In, and also in this category, in this very specific category, bald, bearded men, 51 and older, 225 <laughs> and over. If a show is kind of getting a little wonky, I'll just dance. And I do my best. I'm not trying to get a laugh. And I dance. And usually I do get it like, oh, he moves much better. You know, wow. But <laughs> yeah. what I want from that audience is to see that, like, I'm just desperate. And then yeah. I go back to the to what you're saying, Jules. I go back to the dumb thing. Now they understand that. Oh, if he gets in trouble, he'll go to his well of talents. <laughs> and now it's a game as opposed to, well, look how great I am. Look at all the great things I can do. The talent becomes a way to just get back into the fight. And <laughs> I think that's pleasing. And what I'm dealing with a little bit, Jules, is all talent all day, all the time. And yeah. so there isn't a moment of vulnerability where we have a conversation. It's just like, be wowed by me. Look how funny I am. Look how powerful I'm owning the stage. Boring. I guess it is one way that Denver's pretty lucky. It's, we have a fairly good scene. I mean, no one's making money off this in Denver, so people are really in it for the heart, you know? And so we do have some really great theaters that let us try some really wild, wonky stuff that sometimes doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You'll miss this in three years because then the challenge will be to move away from the things that you know work. Because once you get there and you, know, you have your tricks and you have your formats, there's a part of you that's going to not want to be at risk again. This isn't like a hot, fresh take or anything, but it's like it is like that failure where you kind of like get the most information for your growth, right? My puppet bomb was like the moment where I like really did feel that connection with the audience so deeply. I wouldn't say it's a connection, but I felt they're not enjoying it <laughs> and like <laughs> and so it was like a very learning moment for me to like learn how to be sensitive though i didn't have the capacity to do anything about it at the time like i now have that mapping in my brain probably now if you did it again you'd be like isn't this hilarious i'm up here with this talking vagina you're going to be having fun yeah you'll be excited <laughs> about the failure we had that moment last night we were rehearsing and for our show and like i just started filming jewels because of like the level of sincerity, the level of seriousness. We were, we had both had long days. We were exhausted and we were working last night. Like it was not, it was like, we got to get through these beats. We're choreographing some super serious, like monster fights and knife dances. And like, we just need to get it done. And so like got to the point where I was like delirious, like looking at her with this monster on her back trying to be as serious as she could and just fighting this thing. And I was like, big stuffed dummy. And just that moment of like, we are adults, <laughs> women with 
Real jobs. <laughs> if you had three things that you value the most in terms of working with a new clown as new teachers, what are the three things, and you both can answer this, that you're like, if I can accomplish these three things, if I can get these students to think about these three things, then I feel like I've done my job. We kind of did this when we designed our last workshop. We like decided like what we thought the tenants of clown were and then decided on exercise around that. And so, okay, so for me, the three things are at least finding moments where you're peeling off the mask, showing your true core, learning how to connect with each other and with the audience, emote authentically. Did I answer it? Well, obviously, the, the connection piece, the connection with the audience and the scene part partner, I think that's like... One of the biggest things. And then the other thing is just like the slowing down, getting people to really just like slow the F down, go slower than you think and really just take in each moment. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's like just like the basics of like meditation, like really learning to be present, be in the moment and then just like sit in it. But then also failure and order and chaos and impossible tasks. And then there's lots of things. Oh, boy, here we go. That's nine. <laughs> well, what, what is it, though? What's the right answer? Oh, there's a. <laughs> you know that are no right. Well, now, what are your three? Authority is a construct. The rules either exist to be broken or they exist to give comfort to the audience. And that your only responsibility is to feel connected to all the other human beings in the space. If you can just be connected, you'll probably be fine. I'm also really on this bent right now about worlds and games. I've been noticing a lot of clown in L.A., it feels like a hostage situation sometimes. One, they're doing something so stupid on stage that there isn't really a sense of it's for the audience's joy. Or they have this inflated idea of how the audience will participate in their piece. Oh, right. That yep. doesn't seem like it's there to make the audience enjoy themselves more, but more for them to realize a vision of what they wanted to happen. I feel like that happens a lot with new clowns. They get so excited with it. And then we're going to bring some of them from the audience. And then the no, don't do that. They don't want that. They don't, they don't They don't. want to be asked a hundred questions or they don't want to be put in a situation where they're your scene partner. You have to protect them. The whole point right. is... And so that's oh. where Worlds and Games comes in because I think a nice starting point is either have clowns come out, you transform the space into a world that they can yeah. exist in. So it can be anywhere. And also for me personally doing a lot of stand-up shows, transforming the space or the world can just be that exact space... It can be the Rise Theater, if that's, or Chaos Bloom or wherever, but it's the night the aliens arrive. But you're this audience at this theater, and it's night the aliens arrive. Or it's six in the morning. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to necessarily be, we're all in a middle school detention, or, you know, we're all in a hospital. You can do that too, but it doesn't have to be that grand. But this is a space that where the audience can exist, and not only that, they enjoy being there. They're like, yeah, yeah. I want to be here. And then a game is exactly what it sounds like, which is you present something that the audience wants to play mm -hmm. with you. That can't be putting all this pressure on them that they have to do all these things. It's just that they're like, there's a game afoot and we're playing along. That's like our show we're doing tonight. Yeah. You're doing a game. Well, sort of. I mean, on their show, it's like the world is where we're like these Icelandic elf princess sisters. This is Elf Quest. Elf quest, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so the the audience are the villagers, and they're all dying because our crystal's been the crystal the crystal that gives the village life force has been stolen by a monster. Yeah, and so we got to get that crystal back. Yeah. So you're hitting both, which is the ideal. The ideal is we've transformed the space. It's something really fun, and you'll understand your part in the game. Yeah. Point. 
And then another show we're doing um, next week, this is sort of like a more of a sketchy show that is oh, this kind is of adjacent, but Alyssa is going to do a big PowerPoint presentation that's like 15 minutes long about parking. <laughs> so what the show became is the whole show is now an immersive um, corporate onboarding experience. <laughs> Complete with swag. So when you get in, you get like swag. We're going to give them a little break so they can, like, mill around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to give them a, a sound bath with crystals and singing bowls. Name tags. Mm-hmm. I think this is just Liz getting her business back in shape. <laughs> That's a good idea. Let's charge them. Well, is that it? No. We have the final question. Nice try, Liz. <laughs> so now I'm going to ask you both a question. If you get this question correct, this podcast is over. Oh, boy. I will ask you both separately. What is clown? If you give me a completely comprehensive, short answer that I can tell my friends, family, and loved ones that perfectly surmises my passion for this work and what it's about, there's no reason to go on. That's why this podcast was created. However, if either of you are even 1% off, I will continue to seek answers. 1%. Okay. Jewel, do you want to go first? I'll go in the bathroom and plug my ears. Yeah. I just don't want to pressure like i don't want to accidentally end the podcast oh wow wouldn't that be i'm feeling fairly confident (laughs) i'll hum a little bit i'm very quietly (laughs) no no that's gonna ruin this that's gonna be a sound disaster just put your fingers deeper in your (laughs) you're humming over okay here we go yeah it looks like you're really pushing them in go ahead whenever you're ready it's racing right now okay clown is an open format expression rooted but not bound to the following elements here we go connection emotion physical expression game could you say that one more time yes clown is uh, <laughs> I forgot the beginning already oh that's the same thing happened to me I decided this ahead of time did you say it was a an art form? What did you say? So you said clown. Oh, I said okay. Clown is an open format display. Okay. Performance. I don't know. It could be performance, but I I thought display. I don't know or expression. I'm gonna go with display. It's an open format display. Okay. <laughs> Rooted but not bound to the following elements: connection, emotion, physicality. I might have changed it. You changed it. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. You can tap uh you can tap list now. Turn a list on. And you can listen, Jules, because you you're not gonna get to go oh, again. Yeah. Right. So we've heard one that I'm pretty sure is not going to end this podcast because it changed three times. Oh <laughs> I thought I was my fingers were plugged for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. It was I asked for a simple repeating of it and then it grew and evolved. Whenever you're ready, what is clown? It's comedy performed for the gods. How many performed for the gods? I will tell you that I have an enormous atheist listenership. Okay. <laughs> enormous. I liked yours way better than Jules because oh. Jules had a lot of words I didn't understand. <laughs> like there was a dis- format display. And I was like, is this, is this a Unix computer? What is this format display? You know, open format. It's like, you know. O- open format mean... display, to be fair. Open yeah. format display. <laughs> You know what, though? Good for you. You failed admirably, and that just means you're exactly where you need to be as clowns, and you should be proud of yourselves. 
Also, my batteries are charged now, if you heard that beeping. I mean, it's a little late for whatever you need those batteries for. Well, this doesn't have to go on the show, but this is something that I, the kind of how I've been explaining it to new clowns, because it's like you always get that question of like, what is clown, you know? If stand-up is like the science of comedy, right? It's like you have this hypothesis, you keep working it until it gets better and better and better. And like, it's a very scientific approach to comedy. Then there's improv, which is sort of the logical, if this, then this type of thinking of comedy. Um, and then there's like, character work you talk about yourself as though you are the character like well my character wouldn't do this my character would do this and then with clown it's it's playing the truth of the moment within you right now in this very moment i think the comedy for the gods was more inspiring yeah it's easier it's easier well thank you two so much this was so fun thanks chad thank you chad thank you chad go to the episode notes all of Jules and Lissa's information will be there, their Instagram accounts. Do you guys have a website too, or are you mostly doing this over Instagram? Instagram. Instagram. They can email us. So we'll have that email there. We'll have the Instagram accounts, also my links. But that does bring us to the end of this episode. Don't forget, two-year anniversary, right around the corner. Check it out. Stand Up and Clown. Terrible twos. It's going to be a great show. But until we speak again, my friends, this has been Chad Demiani. Keep on clowning. And then the music plays, and you did it. You 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 two just did your first duo podcast together. Wow! Woo. Thanks, Thank you, Chad, so much. I what an honor. I hope you don't have to edit it too much. Well, the good news is I just got an intern. Oh, oh great! And this will be one of his first projects: is editing this disaster. <laughs>